Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Alyssa Yakuti London. Whether it's your tribe's cherished culture or your own business pursuit, the narrative you offer the rest of the world will determine how successfully it's received. And the time to think about your narrative is long before you need it. The good news is you usually don't have to go far to access the many cultural resources available to help you. Coming up, we'll talk about the points to consider as you build your narrative for success. We're live from the Reservation Economic Summit in Las Vegas, right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. It's been almost exactly one year since the remains of possibly more than 200 children were found at a site of a former residential school in British Columbia. As Dan Karpinchuk reports, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau attended a memorial gathering in Kamloops, B.C. Trudeau says the unmarked burial grounds set off a reckoning for Canadians about the country's history and relations with Indigenous people. I hear you. This is about uh, remembering those we lost. This is about gathering and reflecting on where we are and mostly where we need to go all together. It's been a year since the unmarked graves of 215 children were found at the former school site. Trudeau added that this was a difficult year for survivors and their families, and there was a long road ahead for reconciliation. Governor General Mary Simon also attended the gathering. She said what was known by most Indigenous people, the suffering and loss caused by the residential schools, is now known by all. But you haven't yet had time to grieve, to make peace in your hearts. I hope today contributes to that process of healing. Simon says the remains found have been called a discovery, but for survivors of the Indian residential schools, it's a confirmation. Simon is the first Indigenous person in Canada to hold the office of Governor General. The chief of the Tecumlips to Sequetmuk First Nation, Roseanne Casimir, says she's disappointed that the Pope will not visit Kamloops when he comes to Canada next month, although she's still pleased that he will meet with other Indigenous people in Canada. Last month, Pope Francis apologized for the Catholic Church's role in running the residential schools. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. The Lower Brule Sioux Tribe has filed a lawsuit against a South Dakota county for delaying a redistricting plan that would ensure the election of Native candidates to the county commission. The lawsuit alleges the delay prevents Lower Brule from electing two commissioners in the upcoming election. Victoria Wicks has more. Lyman County has had an at-large election process since 1992. That means candidates running for the five commissioner seats can live anywhere within the county. Lyman County contains part of the Lower Brule Reservation and has a native population of 38 percent. With at-large elections, no native candidate has ever succeeded in winning a seat on the county commission. To avoid a lawsuit, Lyman County and Lower Brule agreed that the county must establish two commissioner positions chosen by native voters. In October 2021, Lower Brule proposed five single-candidate districts, two of them native-majority and three white-majority. According to plaintiffs, that scheme was legal under existing South Dakota law. But in February, the Lyman County Commission enacted an ordinance establishing just two voting districts, one white with three commissioners and one native with two commissioners. 
and the commission voted to delay the changes until after the next election. Lyman County then went to the state legislature and asked for a change in state law to allow the two-district plan. When the State Senate Affairs Committee took up the bill on March 2nd, Lower Brule Tribal Vice Chairman Cody Russell testified against that change. Because county commissioner races are staggered, native voters will not have the chance to elect the two representatives that we should have until 2026. Russell said native voters would be denied full rights for four years, and he said that Lyman County's plan defeats the intent of the Voting Rights Act. This plan divides the county into native and white districts, segregating us and deepening existing tensions. Russell is one of the plaintiffs in the lawsuit. They are asking the federal court to stop the delay and allow the election this year of two native commissioners. I'm Victoria Wicks in Rapid City, South Dakota. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Support by Stronghearts Native Helpline, providing no-charge confidential support and resources to Native Americans affected by domestic and sexual violence 24-7 at 1-844-7-NATIVE or strongheartshelpline.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Live from the Reservation Economic Summit in Las Vegas, this is Native America Calling, and I'm your host, Alyssa Yachudi London. We know the stories of our culture, our places, and our ancestors are important. It's a large part of what makes us who we are. But those stories also have value to each of us as individuals, to our tribes, and to the rest of the world. Today, we're going to talk about understanding that value and how to realize the value of your narrative while protecting the things that are most important to you. We'll touch on some of the things to consider as you're building your narrative and some of the things to avoid. As always, you can be a part of the discussion today. Members of the live audience are encouraged to contribute to the discussion as well as the callers are at home. So today we have three guests on our panel. We have Tessa Trumbull, Business Development Manager for Foxtrot Marketing, Amanda June, CEO of Smokefire Media, and Sherry Rupert, CEO of the American Indian Alaska Native Tourism Association. So to start us off, we have Sherry Rupert. We're going to um, welcome back to Native American Calling, first of all. She's Paiute and Washoe. Can you tell us about your organization? Sure. Uh, so the American Indian Alaska Native Tourism Association is a national native nonprofit, fully native-led. We have 15 board members that are from across the nation. Our organization is here uh, because tribes came together and, uh, and recognized that there needed to be an organization that would support them in the tourism industry. And so that's how IANTA was created. We provide technical assistance and training to 
all 574 tribes across the nation and Native Hawaiians to help them to develop tourism in their communities. How is storytelling an important part of tourism in American Indian and Alaska Native communities? So what we do uh, at IANTA is cultural tourism. And uh, that is so important because as we know, tourism can bring economic uh, value to our tribal communities. But most importantly, through telling our stories, um, we're, we're providing a platform for Indian country to, to share their stories with, with the world. And, uh, you know, if, if we don't do it ourselves, somebody else will do it for us. And that's not, um, not always accurate. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Now, with Smokefire Media, Amanda, how do you help to get tribes to tell their story from their own point of view? Yes, good morning everyone. Thank you for having me. My name is Amanda June, uh, founder and CEO of Smokefire Media, which is a culturally competent marketing, PR, and advertising agency uh, based out of Phoenix, Arizona. And so what we mean by culturally competent or culturally relevant is that we help tribes, tribal organizations, uh, small businesses, uh, nonprofits, it doesn't really matter the industry or the background, but we really help them tell their story uh, from their cultural perspective and in a process that we call the cultural manifesto. This is what helps guide our storytelling, whether it's through creative, their content, website, and their marketing. Um, but it's for the same reason that Sherry was um, alluding to earlier, that it's so important that they own the narrative that they want to share with the world. And so we do that through marketing and creative. Thank you very much, Amanda. Now, Tessa. As the business development manager for Foxtrot Marketing, why is controlling the narrative really important for your business and community? Absolutely. Uh, well, good morning. Thank you for having us here. Um, my name is Tessa. I'm with Foxtrot Marketing. We're based out of Minnesota, um, Minneapolis to be spe specific. Um, controlling the narrative, I believe, in what we do in our line of business, we do branded merch. Um, everybody has a brand, and they want to share that brand with the world. Um, and being Native-owned and women-led, um, bringing that passion that we have for our, our Native partners that we work with on a daily basis and making sure that their brand has integrity, that we're able to tell that story of being Native-owned, Native-ran, women-led, um, and being able to portray that and show that to the world. I mean, we work nationwide, we're, we work worldwide, but being able to tell that story and making sure that story is heard. Thank you, Tessa. Uh, Amanda, something you mentioned, cultural manifesto. How do you start that process with your clients? Yeah, so this is a process I've actually been able to develop with um, my various team members over the years. The last about eight years that Smokefire Media has been around, uh, we noticed that there was such a need, like I said, for communities to be able to tell their story, but there is no such standard uh, in marketing, in the marketing ad industry, around cultural marketing. What does that mean? How do you do it, per se, in your marketing? So what we set out to do was to try and find some kind of a method or a guideline, what, what really makes your story be able to told from a cultural perspective. And as I worked with uh, more than 60 brands now, different companies and organizations with our company, 
we found that there's uh, definitely a very similar pattern that you can uh, provide across cross industries, cross cultures, and it starts with really understanding the nature of culture and what makes a culture. And so our process starts with the discovery and the gathering of, of data, information, all that good stuff, very standard in, in marketing uh, to begin with. But then we go deeper and we start to really dig into the communities, um, the communities, different aspects that really make them them. And that includes things like location, language, their design elements, colors that are important to them. What do different symbols mean to them? So we dive into uh, community, we dive into their place, and their language, and then we dive into the history, uh, the history of how they've interacted in their in their location with their uh, particular culture, and then we bring it all together for the contemporary and help that message shine through uh, through modern modern marketing and messaging. Thank you, Amanda. That sounds like a great process that your clients uh, get to go through with you. Now, Sherry, when your organization starts engaging with the tribe, let's say they actually having developed their cultural tourism um, industry very much. How do you start beginning a process with them? So we have a tribal relations and outreach department at IANTA, and that's a lot of the work that they do is reaching out to tribes on a daily basis, uh, building uh, those relationships, making those connections, finding out from the tribes what they need uh, to be successful in the tourism industry. and as. If there's a tribe, as you said, that is just starting out, uh, we try to get them involved in our training programs and uh, to our American Indian Tourism Conference that happens annually. Uh, we move it around the country into different tribal communities. We bring experts in, we bring tribes in that have been through this process before. So tribes learning from tribes uh, from, from ground one. Um, but, you know, it's a... It takes a village, it takes a tribe uh, to be able to build uh, tourism. You have to have input from everybody in your community to ensure that you are all on the same page, that you're all um, talking about and deciding what is going to be shared and what is going to be kept for your people. Those things that are sacred, you know, you don't necessarily want to share that with others. I've seen tribes across the country, um, even uh, strategically and mindfully in the very beginning say okay we do want to participate in tourism but we're going to participate on this part of our reservation and the other part of the reservation that is separate is for our people and that's where our government is and that's where our residences are um, so it takes everybody to make it a, a success yeah thank you for sharing some of the process and also pointing out that there needs to be a fine line between what narratives can be told or what parts of the community and culture can be shared and what part needs to be kept for the people, that's important. Right. Uh, Tessa, since with all these questions that they've been so kind to answer have been very process-based, uh, can you talk to us about the process that you go through to engage with clients? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my role at Boxtrot Marketing is new business, um, specifically in the, the tribal and gaming industries. Um, what I like to do is when I'm talking to a prospective customer, um, I love to tell our story about how we became Foxtrot Marketing. We're a 40-year-old um, promotional products company, and it's evolved um, greatly over those past 40 years. But what I really um, love about Foxtrot, and I've been in this industry for 15 years, um, with Foxtrot for only two, and I'm so glad that I had found them because of the story that they tell. Um, 
MLCV, which is our parent company, make sure that all of our sister companies go through a process of knowing what our culture is. We have a Native American History Museum in Mille Lacs, Minnesota, where each employee is invited to go up there and spend a day and learn about the culture, learn about the values that drive us, like love, humility, bravery, wisdom, honesty. And that holds true throughout all of our sister organizations. And I tell that process um, and that story when I'm meeting new clients, um, such as uh, we just did a run for MMIW. Um, it was a run that was Canada, it was the United States, we did the braided merch shirts, shirts excuse me, and everybody shared that story and brought awareness to MMIW over social media. And that was such a great part, uh, story to be a part of. Um, so that is how I approach new clients. With That's that. wonderful that you're able yeah. to use, use the platform. Yeah, it was very, very exciting to see everybody in those shirts and, and representing um, and bringing awareness to, to MMIW. Well, I definitely have more questions I want to ask you about that. We're going to go to break in looks like just a few moments. So just a reminder uh, that you can uh, tune in on Facebook. For those who are listening, you can tune in on Facebook Live and actually see this show being recorded. Uh, if you're not here in, I know there's, we have a live studio audience and there's also an opportunity for those who are not here live in the studio to actually watch this online. And you can go to Native America Calling's Facebook to see that. You can also send comments or questions on Facebook or you can actually raise your hand right here in the room at Res and ask a question. Uh, so now we're going to go to uh, a break, but this we're broadcasting live from Reservation Economic Summit in Las Vegas. I'm your host, Alyssa London. I'm here with Sherry Rupert, Tessa Trumbull, and Amanda June. Tune in right here every weekday to hear the only national call-in radio show from a Native American viewpoint. We explore topics that range from traditional cultural practices to up-to-the-minute news that affects every American. We hope you join us for the next Native America Calling. Mesa Lands Community College can help you lead the way in your chosen field. At Mesa Lands, where one in three students is Native American, you get hands-on opportunities working one-on-one -on -one with instructors in wind energy, where students go up the turbine in their first semester, silversmithing with access to the largest foundry in the Southwest, and blacksmithing in the cowboy arts. Mesa Lands has a national top ten rodeo team, too. Info and applications at mesalands.edu. Mesa Lands Community College supports this program. Thanks for tuning in to Native America Calling. We are live from the Reservation Economic Summit in Las Vegas. I'm your host, Alyssa London, and today we're talking about the importance and economic benefits of controlling your own narrative. Do you have advice about how to protect what is important to you as you present your tribe or your business to the rest of the world? Join our discussion. If anyone in our audience has a comment or question, please step up to the microphone as well. As a reminder, our panelists today are the 
three amazing women here talking about storytelling and narrative building in Indian country. We have Tessa Trumbull, business development manager for Foxtrot Marketing, Amanda June, CEO of Smokefire Media, and Sherry Rupert, CEO of IANTA, America, American Indian Alaska Native Tourism Association. Now, the first question for this segment is um, directed towards Amanda June, CEO of Smokefire Media. How do you incorporate traditional storytelling into modern day storytelling? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, that's such a huge part of what makes culturally relevant marketing relevant, is that it, we believe, and this is uh, something that we, we tell all of our clients and um, that we put out there, is that we believe cultural marketing should feel like home. Real, really relevant cultural marketing should feel that way. It should make you remember, uh, you know, growing up on the res and certain things that you just don't find anymore or you don't see happening out in the world so much anymore. Maybe it's um, the way that your grandmother had her skirts or maybe your your grandfather um, you know told you stories from from way back when when they were younger things like that it's that that very um, warm feeling of yeah I know that I remember that and um, it just gives you that sense of comfort of this this story this memory is being continued in a in a very great way in a nice way um, and in a respectful way through something as as uh, more business related as marketing. And so we help kind of walk those fine lines uh, through our cultural process that I mentioned before, the cultural manifesto. And uh, we really look for things that uh, the community members identify with and um, also paying close attention to those uh, those stories from the elders, and if at all possible, we try and actually uh, go to the elders in the communities if we have a, part, a project that, that calls for it, we'll actually um, ask to be connected to cultural advisors or people in the community that they see uh, carry those stories, and we go to them first and ask them, you know, what's, what's available, the story that can be carried forward. And Amanda, how do you decide which motifs are appropriate to feature? Can you tell us more about your process of engaging with elders and your clients to talk about this? Yeah, so, you know, I always like to say as well, uh, the design industry that is so connected to marketing, uh, that's really where we also tell the, tell the story and importance of design because truly our communities um, we, we kind of were the first architects of design, right? The indigenous peoples, whether it was through um, landscape and, and learning how to uh, navigate agricultural farming, uh, the, the structures, the pueblos, the different uh, things that we carried through was all based on geometry. And so many things in the design industry have tenets that, um, that follow a lot of our, our design principles. So we go back into the design area when um, going to tell the story because we know uh, coming from our indigenous backgrounds that uh, symbols mean things, right? So you can't just throw them around uh, everywhere and some of them are not meant to be public. So we really take that into consideration. We ask the community, um, you know, what does this mean to you? And is it allowed to be shared um, as well as different colors? That's where colors are very important as well. And a lot of times our clients know they will tell us. And if they're not quite sure, we'll do some digging and we'll, we'll dive into uh, what we can find and what feels like a good balance and what's able to be shared. 
so important. I'm glad that you consult with the community, and that's a, a, an example or lesson that I hope others follow as well who are in your industry. Now, Sherry, can you talk about how traditional influences from communities also can uh, help with the narrative storytelling and cultural tourism? So as I mentioned before, at IANTA, we work directly with tribes uh, across the nation and Native Hawaiians, and uh, we actually let them tell their stories. Uh, and, and so um, some are, are very traditional, and, and um, some tribes have adapted that to be able to, to um, share uh, with the, the traveling public um, you know, that come into their, their communities. Um, I wanted to mention um, NativeAmerica.travel. It's our consumer-facing website, and we invite um, all tribes across the nation to participate. It's uh, free marketing, essentially, um, on our website. And everything that goes onto that website comes through the tribes. Um, the, the text or the, the narrative, the, the photos, the videos, all comes from them. So they're sharing, again, their stories, uh, what, what they want to share uh, with people that come to the website to be inspired uh, to visit Indian country. Thank you. In Alaska, we're actually going through a whole process of uh, rebranding the Alaska travel and tourism site to try and not just have cultural tourism be a part of it, but to actually have it be more holistic. Uh, what are your thoughts on having cultural tourism be something that states lead with, opposed to it being something that I would say is marginalized? Exactly. So, and we've seen that time and time again, the, the state destination management organizations or state tourism offices utilizing our photos to attract people to, to their states and, um, and not working with the tribes at all, not um, building those connections and those relationships and, and working that with them to develop tourism or uh, even to market tourism. And that has actually a lot to do with uh, the fact that uh, most tribes um, don't pay into the room tax in their states. And that's how those state tourism offices and local CVBs are funded. And so if we're not paying into that, they don't necessarily have to work with us. They don't necessarily have to market us. And so that's where IANTA uh, comes in, is to be that organization uh, that can not only help develop tourism through technical assistance and training in our communities, but also to market those tribes. So we're definitely moving, moving toward uh, becoming that um, DMO for Indian country. Direct Marketing Organization. Thank you, Sherry. As a reminder to our audience, you can actually raise your hand and ask a question and be included in this taping if you would like. And similarly, if you're listening at home, you can still call in and I believe our team in Albuquerque or maybe here in Las Vegas will be able to ask your question to our panelists right now. Uh, but and if no one has a question, I will now turn our conversation back over to Tessa. Any thoughts on traditional storytelling in your line of work? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's um, it's a little bit of, uh, it's a different story from what you guys are saying because we not only just deal with tribal businesses and tribal entities, we also um, work with manufacturing companies. We work with technology companies, and I think being able to tell our story of where we come from and our traditions and what our culture um, is rooted so deep in, um, I think that plays into a lot of 
um, some of our other customers to, to know a story, to know that they are able to work with a company that gives back to our, our tradition, that gives back to our reservations, that gives back to our native people, but to be also um, to employ other people within the communities that our businesses are in, whether it's property management um, or whether it's gaming, whether it's uh, marketing or te technology, we're able to bring that culture in and tell that story throughout the nation. Um, we also just launched a workday where we can go in and do a Rosetta Stone Ojibwe language training for free, any employee that works within MLCV. And I think that keeps that tradition alive and being able to tell that story. Children are our future and be, to be able to go in there and go through the, the Rosetta Stone with them and teach them the, the Ojibwe language to keep that alive. Um, but to also tell that story to other partners that we have that are not in the tribal communities but being able to support those communities as well. I'm glad you brought up language. That's gonna be some of the questions I asked next. <laughs> but first I wanna read out um, that Michael Carter watching on the Facebook live feed says that he loves the conversation today about cultural storytelling. So thank Thanks, you Michael. for all the words thank you're you. saying. So yes, uh, language revitalization, it is hugely important in our communities. How does cultural storytelling and the work you do involve language revitalization in part? How do you incorporate that into your work? So uh, Amanda, any thoughts? Yeah, definitely. Uh, these are the, the kind of the hard issues, right, that are communities are re-identifying right now. We're, we're literally, what I, what I like to say is kind of a cri an identity crisis in indigenous communities because there's a, a time now where we get to redefine and we are reintroducing a lot of our, our ways as being really the new sustainable ways forward for many uh, economies and communities worldwide and people are looking to us. It's a time where our voices are now being heard on a wider basis again for the first time in a, in a good way and so we're learning how to retell these stories and really what makes us indigenous um, as a whole and so language is huge language is huge about how we talk about ourselves and the narrative and so um, as we we evaluate how do we get to tackle some of these larger uh, larger topics these larger issues on a global scale, uh, Smokefire Media has just launched a platform called Native Plus Marketplace. And this is our kind of solution from the marketing standpoint, is we see that we need more connection and we need more connection to the storytellers in our communities to be able to, to uh, get our narrative out there. And so what Native Plus is able to do is connect communities with the creatives, the designers, and the cultural providers that they need for their projects. Um, on a daily basis. So you can actually go on the site and find and hire a freelance, say, a graphic designer, someone from your community that understands already your, your perspective and your history. They understand the design elements of your community and you don't have to explain yourself. You don't have to convince them that it's important to take culture into consideration in your marketing. And so similarly, if language, uh, as we know, is a huge, uh, huge area that we wanna pay attention to, we have cultural providers that are coming to the site now and I'm trying to get more and more of them on there but uh, because we know that these things are being developed things like language apps things like programs and cultural uh, community education and they need to be found uh, by their communities so this is our our solution on a wider basis to help uh, alleviate some of these these areas 
Thank you, Amanda. So now we actually have some engagement from Facebook Live. We have two questions coming in. Uh, we have Tawny Smith-Savage who asks, are there examples of agricultural tourism in Indian country? I believe that would be a good question for Sherry. Yes, there are actually many examples of agritourism uh, across the nation. In fact, this last year, uh, we put out uh, an agritourism manual uh, with uh, six case studies in it from across the country, uh, different tribes um, that are doing amazing things. I saw um, Seca Hills here uh, in the, the trade show. Uh, they're the, I believe, the Yochadehi Wintun tribe out of uh, Northern California. And uh, they, they have a, a grove of olive trees and they make this amazing olive oil and they have this beautiful, beautiful um, tasting room where you can go and, and taste the oils uh, in there. So, I mean, that's yeah. just one example. There's so many more across Indian country um, that I've seen Oneida Nation and their, um, their apples. They have apple fields there and uh, so and that's kind of a nod to their beginnings in the New York area so um, yes a lot of agritourism out there and uh, for those that are interested in that uh, we have information on our website ianta.org uh, where you can download that agritourism manual thank you Sherry and I'm sure there's a great cultural significance behind each of those uh, farm enterprises and that the food matters a lot to them. So cultural storytelling probably has a lot to do with uh, Ben marketing that. Right. And, uh, and I think a, a lot of, uh, if, if I remember right through the, the cases, cases uh, that we put together, um, most of those tribes uh, started out of food sovereignty, right? Uh, creating food for their own people so that their people can be healthy and they can have wellness among their communities. And uh, once they were able to achieve that, then uh, they kind of uh, value add uh, to what they were doing and started creating products and selling those to the public. That's great. We have a few minutes before we're going to go to break again. We have a question from another individual watching on Facebook. Mark Wing asks, how do elders feel about the sharing of traditional stories? Anyone want to take that? How about Tessa? We haven't heard from you this uh, section as much. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, I, my grandma wrote a book. Um, gosh, I want to say it was probably eight, eight or nine years ago, um, just talking about the traditions and how she grew up and how things have evolved and how things have changed. Um, but to be able to have a copy of that book that was in the Smithsonian, um, and a copy for myself to share with people who ask about my culture, who ask about my, my tradition. Um, not only the people that I work with at Foxtrot, but other people that I've run into as far as clients. And tell us a little bit more about where you came from or tell us a little bit more about your culture. It's really interesting. We'd love to learn more. Um, and I share that book. And right now, one of my coworkers has it. And she said she couldn't put it down on vacation. She said, I love the culture. I love the stories. I love the storytelling. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I love to share that that story about my grandma, keeping the traditions alive, telling us where we came from, um, where she had grown up, uh, how the culture um, needs to continue with our children, um, but being able to share those stories. I think it's very important, and I'd love to, to share that with people that I meet on a daily basis as well within, um, within my day-to-day. -day. 
I love that. So my takeaway from that, maybe this is the audience as well, is that our elders are actually really glad that we are bringing forth the stories and keeping the traditions alive that, that, and that your work is so important to cultural, not just preservation, but perpetuation. So thank you all for what you are doing. We're going to head to break pretty soon. So again, this is Native America Calling. We're broadcasting live from the Reservation Economic Summit in Las Vegas with guests Sherry Rupert, Tessa Trumbull, and Amanda June. We're discussing the importance of developing and controlling your narrative and what do you want others to know about your tribe and business or culture. If you're watching on Facebook Live, you can consider that question and questions that you may have and you can type them into the comments on Native American Calling's Facebook Live. I believe you can also call in. And then again, we are here live at the Reservation Economic Summit and you can raise your hand and engage in the conversation as well. But for now, we're going to go to break. I'm your host, Alyssa London, and thank you for tuning in. Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian Country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian Country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Amerind.com. That's A M E R I N D.com. We are live from the Reservation Economic Summit in Las Vegas, Nevada. This is Native America Calling, and I'm your host, Alyssa London. What are the things that are important to you, and what are the things you like to tell others about your tribe or your business? If you would like to take part in today's discussion, step up to the microphone if you are here in person at the conference, or if you're watching or listening at home, you can comment on the Facebook Live on Native America Calling's Facebook page, or I believe you can call in and our producers, whether in Albuquerque or Las Vegas, will take your question as well. So again, with us here in the uh, RES conference, in the panel here in the conference room, is Tessa Trumbull, Business Development Manager for Foxtrot Marketing, Amanda June, CEO of Smokefire Media, and Sherry Rupert, CEO of the American Indian Alaska Native Tourism Association, or IANTA. So the question that we want to start off with is, how does narrative storytelling help the bottom line? This is a business conference. Res is about economic development. Sherry, what are your thoughts? So um, we know from research that uh, IANTA commissioned and released this last October that uh, American Indian, Alaska Native, and Native Hawaiian-owned hospitality businesses is a $14 billion industry. And that was based on 2017 U.S. Census data. So um, as soon as the newest data comes out, uh, we'll get that information uh, released as well. But that tells us a story, that there, there definitely is demand out there for cultural tourism. The types of visitors that uh, cultural tourism attracts are those, those visitors that stay longer, spend more, 
are willing to travel, are willing to um, you know, rent cars, and as you know, most of our tribal communities are in rural areas. So that's really great for us that we can attract those types of travelers. Um, I also wanted to mention that you know, through COVID, that really taught us a lot. Uh, we learned that uh, during COVID, people wanted to move away from the big cities and get out outdoors. And uh, we saw a lot of them coming to Indian country because again, we're very rural. And uh, so coming out of COVID, I think uh, a lot of our native, small native owned businesses in, in the hospitality industry have kind of rethought how they're going to do business moving forward. And, and I think we have the opportunity to be rather exclusive as far as uh, the types of tours, for example, that, that we would give. So we don't need to do the, the you know, two coaches of uh, 100 people coming uh, to visit us. We can whittle that down now to you know, 15 people to have a more exclusive experience, and they would pay more for it. And uh, so I think uh, there's a great opportunity there uh, and, and a great opportunity for cultural tourism, for, for growth in our communities. Sounds like there is a, a definite correlation between the bottom line and telling our, our cultural stories and through cultural tourism. So we have our first question here live at the conference. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Go ahead. Yes, I'm CJ Krieger, uh, Haida Indian, Alaska and Canadian tribe. I'm the owner of Triptych Planning, a woman-owned, veteran-owned, American Indian-owned small business. And I have two questions. The first one is, of all the stories that you've discovered, what is one of the most profound or surprising that you found in Indian country? And the second question is, could you repeat the directory that you were talking about, the address, marketplace, and also the native something travel that you were talking about, Sherry? That address. Sure. Uh, so nativeamerica.travel is our, our website um, that is meant to inspire uh, people to come to Indian country. And so every tribe, as I said, has an opportunity to provide um, their content uh, for their listing on our website. Uh, the, uh, I think it was the agritourism manual that you're talking about? Oh, okay. Oh, yes, uh, Native, Mar Native Plus Marketplace. That um, address for everyone listening is native-plus.com. That's the actual website. And if you're live here at the conference, we have a booth downstairs. You can see us as well, number 512, and we have all the information about Native Plus there. Awesome. And show if you're listening, I know that, oh, you're right there. <laughs> On Facebook, maybe you can put those, uh, those URLs right there in the, the comments for people to see. Look, um, so it looks like we have another audience question right here. Good morning. I'm Elena Kapoman of the Quinault Nation. Uh, my question, I work for a, a women's nonprofit based in Seattle and we get funding for various campaigns, and one of them recently uh, was a COVID-19 vaccine confidence, and we really wanted to connect with our people and make it relevant. Um, so my question is, how do you navigate creating cultural PR and marketing campaigns without crossing the line of spiritual? Uh, we commissioned some beautiful original artwork, and one of the designs submitted had medicine back, and uh, we got some feedback that some traditionalists found that offensive. So we ultimately decided to table that design, but then the artist was upset with us. And so like, how do you navigate that? 
Amanda, is that something you want to speak to? Yeah, sure. We, we definitely have these conversations uh, many times with clients. Um, and usually it's, it's about coming to a consensus because when we talk about, you know, like this is again where we get to um, decide, we're, we're redefining some of these areas. And there's never been rules around this before, right? Who says you can't put a medicine bag in, in some imagery? Well, it's a community consensus. And so uh, we find kind of the, the, the balance there. So maybe, you know, like you said, the elders said no, the artist wanted yes, and you had to go with something in between. And that really is kind of the dance of, of figuring out what's okay for certain situations in your community. So sometimes it is just a compromise in some areas, especially around spiritual items um, and even ref reference to them. Um, so really that was the process at play for your community is them coming to that consensus. So there really is no right or wrong answer. It's defined by the, the uh, community and the organizations that are uh, finding how to tell their stories. Thank you for your question. Now we have a question from Facebook. Um, Jamie um, C. John, I uh, hope I pronounced your last name okay. If not, apologize. Um, the marketing budgets are typically smaller than other departments. What are your top two tips to maximize a marketing budget for the best exposure for a business? Tessa. Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, I think it's just, it comes down to what's gonna tell your brand story? Uh, what's going to tell your story? Uh, I work in an industry that's $19 billion industry for promotional products and branded merchandise. And there's a lot out there to choose from. I mean, you can, you know, find a lot of people ask for name brand items like a, a Yeti tumbler or a, a Herschel backpack. Uh, but there are, you know, in the industry, you call them dupes. Um, you can stretch those marketing dollars with an item that has high perceived value, and it always comes down to the, the quality of the decoration, whether you're embroidering that product or you're screen printing that product or doing a, a nice laser engraving on a tumbler. You can find items that pack a punch that have a high perceived value and then it comes down to your brand. What do you want your artwork to look like on that product? What what message do you want it to say? What story do you want behind that that product? And then having the uh, social media presence where you can share that item and uh, maybe do a contest um, and create buzz around those items, but really being able to stretch those marketing dollars and partnering with a, a supplier that can help you navigate that because sometimes it does get overwhelming. You can search online promotional products, branded merch, and you come up with a million uh, different websites that you can go to, but finding that partner that you can trust that can give you a quality product with quick turnaround times um, and be, be able to, to stretch those dollars. Thank you. I just feel like this is a really great question for a, a you know, business conference. So any quick thoughts, Amanda? Sure, yeah, um, especially because that's, that's really our realm of play here uh, with Smokefire Media is the content. And that's what we call storytelling in our communities and in the marketing uh, world. They give it its fancy term, it's content marketing, but it really is just telling your story. Um, and that is totally free. That's all free. And that's actually where we tend to start with our clients. Um, small, large, it doesn't matter, is learning how to tell your story from your own perspective, creating a brand narrative, and how you carry that through all of your online platforms. But doing that is completely free. And once you get really good at that, being able to know what your story is, then you can start 
Oh no, she said start to do the fun stuff, and then. And then maybe her mic went out. So this is live radio, guys. So this is all part of it. Actually, as the host, okay. I should probably just walk over and put this in front of you. Here we go. It's all right. Yeah, the fun stuff like get the promo materials and actually buying the, the merch and things like that. But if you don't know what your story is and it's not consistent, then it really kind of falls short. And that's where people get that roller coaster effect in their marketing. Like it was great for a little bit and then it tapered off. So really focusing on that strong marketing foundation and doing what you can for free first and making sure that works. And then you can start building with all the fun paid stuff. Thank you. And way to be adaptable. Uh, Sherry, does your mic work? Tess? I think so. Oh, great. Okay. Um, how would do you want to take a uh, answer that question about the bottom? Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, so what I'd to like speak. to do is to go back to CJ's second question, great. which was uh, the profound or surprising story um, that we've heard. Um, before I became CEO of Ianta, I was the Indian Affairs Director here in the state of Nevada, and our office was at the former Stewart Indian Boarding School in Carson City, and. Um, you know, one of the, the first priorities um, that I had there was to um, find a way to tell the stories of the native children that had attended the boarding school. And um, that, was a, that was a huge feat because people outside of the tribal communities have not been taught about Indian boarding schools and have never heard the stories. And it's really kind of unbelievable to them that this was a federal initiative to remove our children from our homes and from our culture and from our people. And uh, so it was an uphill battle, but in the end, uh, we were able to convince uh, Governor Sandoval at the time to invest, uh, and the legislature, to invest $5.7 million to establish a cultural center and a welcome center in Carson City uh, to tell the story of the Indian boarding school. So for me, that is my most profound um, story that I can recollect and that I was a part of. So I would encourage any and all of you, uh, as you travel through the state, if you're going through Carson City, our capital, please make sure that you stop by the Stewart Indian School Cultural Center and Museum. I mean, that is very important and very timely that you are uh, helping to tell the story of the history of Indian boarding schools. and. I know that there are a lot of other topics in our communities that are hard to talk about, such as MMIW or COVID-19 and how our communities handle it. How do you create a communication strategy that informs people but is culturally sensitive? It's a fine line to walk, education and cultural sensitivity. Um, Tessa. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, just talking about with the, the boarding schools and Every Child Matters. Um, I love reaching out to organizations that have a message or have a platform and how we can work with them to, to create that awareness. Um, working with a, a foundation called Rising Hearts soon here for Every Child Matters. And a lot of these organizations put on uh, nationwide runs where we do the, we're going to be doing orange t-shirts for them and the artwork is so important and that message to come across and bring awareness to, to such 
um, a tragic thing that has happened in our history. Um, and the same with the, the MMIW too, and being able to, to share that um, not only on our personal social pages, but our, our Foxtrot um, social pages as well, to bring that awareness not only to our, our tribal partners, but to all of our partners across the country to show that uh, that awareness needs to be brought to these issues. Thank you. I think we have time for one more question from the audience. Clifton? Hi, uh, I wanted to ask a question to Tessa. Um, how, how detrimental is it to have old or like off-branding? How does that um, deter from the mission of the tribe or the company uh, to have to, have to um, you know, not, not be, you guys talked about modernizing and, and, and working together with uh, the tr traditions, but if, have you guys experienced where it's difficult to do that with a, with a particular tribe or a particular mission of a firm or something like that? Of staying on brand? The, uh, is that the question, of staying on brand? Staying on brand, yeah. yeah, and working with different tribal entities and tribal, tribal communities, is that your question? Um, so, Yes, I mean, sometimes um, we do get a little bit of pushback saying we want those dollars to stay within our tribe. Um, but a lot of people that I meet at different trade shows, um, we're all working for uh, towards the same goal. We want to bring um, awareness. We want to keep our community strong. Um, I met Sherry this morning, and she said it would be lovely to work with another Native-owned company for our promotional products. We have things that we're giving away at our booth. How can you help with that? Um, because I think that we're all in this together. Um, and we're all working towards the same common goal. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. And on that note, let's wrap up our first live taping here at the Reservation Economic Summit. Thank you again to our guest, Tessa Trumbull, Business Development Manager for Foxtrot Marketing, Amanda June, CEO of Smokefire Media, Sherry Rupert, CEO of the American Indian Alaska Native Tourism Association. Let's give them a round of applause. And that's the beauty of having a live audience. So we are back tomorrow with another show about inspiring um, Native issues. I'm your host, Alyssa Yakia D. London, and this has been an episode of Native America Calling. Thank you. Support by the American Indian College Fund. The American Indian College Fund provides millions of dollars of scholarships to thousands of Native students every year. Tribal citizens of every age and experience are eligible. Scholarship applications are now open for the upcoming school year at collegefund.org. That's collegefund.org or by phone at 800-766-FUND. Education is the answer. Healthcare.gov Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, 
the Native American Radio Network.